My name is Hoffa. Um, a little bit about me. I'm an, I'm an intern at Religion Unplugged. Um, I'm originally from Brazil, but I grew up in, in Southern Africa. Um, and, I'm, and I'm super grateful to be working uh, for Paul at, at Religion Unplugged. I do a lot of culture stuff and, and a lot of um, religion and tech projects as well. Um, so it's a pleasure to meet you. Good. Well, listen, thank you for doing it. I mean, uh, you sound like you had an interesting career as you're going forward. So uh, I'm looking forward to a great conversation. You pronounce your first name Hoffa? Uh, yes, that's correct. So in Portuguese, when the word begins with an R, it's pronounced like an H. H, okay. Hoffa. Great. Yes. Um, Martin, where are you? Where are you from? Can you can you tell me a little bit about a little bit about yourself before we get started here? Uh, well, I'm I, for the last forty years. I'm based in Al we're based. Journey Films is based in Alexandria, Virginia, uh, and we've been here since the early nineteen eighties. Uh, I'm originally born and raised in Queens, New York, and then for a, a fair amount of time, also up in Rhode Island in New England. Mm -hmm. But for the last forty plus years, since 19, early nineteen eighties, I've been here in Washington D.C., just outside of Alexandria, Virginia. Okay. That's where Journey Films is based. Okay. Did you start Journey Films or? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And what is? <laughs> and as as a, as the logo says, fully responsible for the content. Right. So yes. Right. So it's my company. When you when you started it, what was your what was your vision for for the company? Well, I'd always been interested in religion. Uh, I mean, ultimately, it comes down to the fact that I studied religion formally in college. I studied comparative religions, mm -hmm. and then uh, did a couple of years of, as a writer for uh, on religion for newspapers, and then. Um, and then got a degree, a master's degree in uh, television and film production. And so Journey Films was like sort of bringing together all those chapters of my earlier life. Mm -hmm. And my intention really was to tell stories about uh, religion and faith and spirituality and do it hopefully in a way that, that could reach a mainstream audience. Uh, all the yeah. films that we do are really for national, uh, in the last, certainly in the last many, many years have been for public television. So it's for a mainstream audience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, one of the questions that I've been, you know, wrestling with since I started working for Religion Unplugged is um, what people think about religion objectively. I think I think it's something that's very fascinating. So I would love to know your thoughts on like what is kind of do you think the importance of of religion uh, as as an objective um, phenomenon in society as opposed to like just Christianity or just Buddhism? Um, yeah, I would love to get some of your thoughts on that. Well, I, I think organized religion has changed dramatically since I began. I mean, I started making my films in the early 1980s, so this is now 40 years. Mm -hmm. And when I began, uh, it was just understood in the American culture that religion had its place. Uh, television broadcasting stations and networks and everything would set aside time, usually on Sunday morning, uh, and said, look, here, here's going to be the religion slot. Uh, because religion is part of the American scene mm -hmm. and had been since the very beginning. So um, that it was just understood. Uh, but today, that's not the case at all. I mean, uh, religion really has to fight for an audience and yeah. hope it gets an audience to get any kind of venues, to get any kind of opportunities, to get access to on, on television, to, to viewers, or on radio, to listeners. So as, as far as I'm concerned, that's a vast difference. Uh, and maybe for the better, in some ways, I think it challenges all of us who think uh, that we're religious communicators. We're communicating a, a story about religion that we better be on our game. 
we better be ready to to do a good job, a professional job, and that we have to earn all our slots and earn the spaces that we get on the broadcast spectrum. Mm-hmm. So maybe in some ways that's a it's a it's a wake up call for how we have to be. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, and so uh, about the uh, the the Sabbath documentary, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. By the way, the the this kind of stuff is something that I've been passionate about um, for a while, especially since moving to to America. I mean, I thought the, the, the beginning bits about the great acceleration and, and all that resonated a lot with me. Um, so what was the, uh, exact release date for the film and how long did it take you to like film and, and produce? Uh, I guess from, uh, from conception to uh, actual release, it's about 18 months. Okay. Uh, and that's kind of standard for us. Um, and, and that I have to say, uh, uh, without patting ourselves too much on the back, I've never made a film during the pandemic. I've been mm-hmm. making films for you know 40 years, making a film during a pandemic, and especially one like this uh, was really, really challenging. The official release date was on June 1st, and so it's just rolling out. Okay. Um, and uh, and I think that's the that's another difference I think between uh, television and or film release back in the 1980s when I started. And now, which is that um, basically rather than everything gearing towards a one a one moment premiere kind of event, I mean, films are placed on platforms and ours is on the public television platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you build audiences over the next many months uh, and, and hopefully it begins to sort of build momentum and take off. And we're, we're seeing that. I'm getting a lot of calls and interest in the film. So we don't have... Uh, in a typical Hollywood sense, we don't have millions and millions of dollars to put into a, sure. you know, a, a, a an advertising budget towards a rele- an individual release date. Uh, we get the word out through the, all the media that basically I do and the word of mouth that we do. We have people who are working on doing social media and things like that. But that's that's a process that builds over a period of time. So the official release date is June 1. Uh, and we've been working ever since to sort of continue to to see growth and interest in the film. So sure. first of all, thank you for having some interest in what we're doing. I, I appreciate your comments. Of course, of course. Um, yeah, I think I think it's very timely. I think it's something that is very needed. I mean, certainly living in New York City, I I resonated a lot with the notion of setting aside time to rest and just to just to be human. You know what I mean? And I I thoroughly appreciated the takes of, of Judaism and, and, and Islam that were featured in the documentary as well. Um, they, they put it in a whole, in a whole different light. Um, yeah. And I, and I also want to be honest and say that as, as, as casually, as I said, it was a real challenge to make this particular kind of film during a pandemic. Uh, there were a huge number of obstacles and, and, you know, I, I also felt as though I had to be respectful for the safety of my crew and the people that we were with. So, I mean, you know, if you look at it and you're really critical in analyzing the film, there's a lot of it shot in New York, a lot of it shot in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, we, we did, we shot in the Midwest, we shot in Jackson, mm-hmm. Mississippi, you know, the places like that. So we, we flavored it up. Uh, but uh, in reality, we tried to see if we could minimize the amount of exposure and travel and everything else like that because we were shooting it in the pandemic. Sure. Uh, and and so uh, you know, I I'm trying to be I'm trying to be respectful for the health and safety of my people. So sure. Sure. That came out. Of- so did you begin to produce it in 2020 or 2021? Uh, let's see, 21. Uh, we finished a film on Abraham Joshua Heschel. Uh, and release that in the spring of 2020, and then in 2021, 
uh, we began with the uh, the research and started filming in uh, the beginning of 20, uh, really the spring of 2022. Okay. Okay. And then we we finished the filming uh, in 22, and it was still very serious. I mean, a lot of churches turned us down and said, no, no, we don't. We thought we were going to be open again, but we're not. And there were a lot of practical challenges with COVID and everything, but we did most of the filming over the course of the first nine months of 2022. Okay. Um, and as I'm as it's going along, I'm editing chapters together. We edited the film into the fall of 2022 and at the beginning of 2023. And then present it to public television, and they need several months to sort of get it into the schedule. Right. So it's right. kind of a schedule. Have you produced these kinds of, of documentaries before? I know you did like a five-part series on five different profiles or something like that in the past, right? I did. Uh, so the last uh, four films um, have been all biographical films, historical biographies on great religious figures of the 20th century. And okay. uh, they, they did remarkably well for us. The last one was on Abraham Joshua Heschel. I don't know if you know his name. Um, I've, I've heard and, of him uh, briefly. The one before that was on Dorothy Day. She okay. was a great Catholic social activist. Uh, before that was Howard Thurman, who was a mentor to Martin Luther King Jr. And I think really one of the unsung American religious figures in okay. our 20th century history. That's awesome. Uh, and then I had done a biography on uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Huh. Uh, a number of years ago. So we rolled all five films together. Um, I, 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 I forgot to, we also uh, did a film prior to that on Reinhold Niebuhr, the great American public theologian. Oh, yes, I've heard of him too. Yeah, when uh, when I was in when I was in college here in New York City at, at King's, we, we have a house system, kind of like Harry Potter, and I was in the house of, of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, so he, uh, he holds a special place. Um, for me. So we, we rolled all five of those films together and did a, each one was was produced individually, each one was released individually, and I'll, I'll brag and say each one became an Amazon bestseller for documentaries. Mm -hmm. uh, Dorothy Day got to number one. Wow. Uh, and they had their own audiences and their own appeal, and then we rolled all five of those films together and released a set called The Prophetic Voices. Okay. Um, that's, that's been very well received, and so that sort of takes us up to the last stuff. But prior to that, I had done 20-some other films, other documentary films, okay. some of them not being biographies, some of them being on, on subject matter. Like I, I did a film on chaplains, mm -hmm. so um, it, was, it was like Sabbath, a two-hour film, and we looked at... Uh, and we looked at chaplains from different faith traditions, so Buddhist and Muslim and Catholic and sure. Protestant, and different jobs that they have, so chaplains in hospitals and chaplains in the military and chaplains in prisons. And that film has been one of the most successful releases on public television. It's now in its ninth year hmm. on public television, which is really you know, a great mark of the interest in that subject matter. Yeah, so, um, that's incredible. That's incredible. So, what was what was your inspiration behind the the creation of uh, the Sabbath documentary specifically? You, you know, I'm. <laughs> it's doing. It's after we had released the film on uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel. Uh, I had finished reading Heschel's book. Heschel wrote a wonderful, wonderful book uh, on the topic Sabbath. And if you ask people who study Sabbath uh, in seminaries and religion programs all across the country, which book comes to mind when you think of Sabbath, they will inevitably say um, Abraham Joshua Heschel's book on Sabbath. And I had reread that book as a result of doing the documentary on Heschel, mm -hmm. and so it got in my mind. Then I had done a film earlier on that on Seventh-day Adventists, and they're very, very committed to the notion of Sabbath, so much so that they name their faith tradition Seventh-day Adventists. Mm -hmm. And uh, here we are all feeling a sense, I thought, you know, during the pandemic, we're all feeling a sense of stressed out, 
detachment, um, a loss of time and the rhythm of time. I'm, I'm not sure how it was for you, but for me, you know, I really sometimes couldn't tell if it was Sunday or Monday or Thursday. Yeah. Or, you know, you just lost any sense of rhythm and time. And that's, that's sort of put, you know, into the forefront for me, this whole idea of Sabbath. So I started reading about it. Um, and looked at it from a different perspectives and sort of identify the people that would eventually wind up being in the film and read the books and do the research. And I said, you know, I think this could be fun for us. I think this could be a topic that's really perfectly aligned with Journey Films and who we are and really needed at this time. Yes. And so let's see if we can get the funding and get up and get going. That's, that's yes, absolutely. Um, I want to go back to, to what you just said about, about, the, uh, about the pandemic and how, how Sabbath kind of, kind of relates to that. Did you kind of want to explore the Sabbath topic more because you felt like there was no time set apart during COVID? Was that kind of your um, your your thought process, or can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, no, I, I think it certainly was an element of the thought process. I mean, Sabbath has been around a lot longer than COVID, mm -hmm. and so it was not a case of being prompted only by COVID. And it was a case that COVID sort of isolated me um, and it you know put me in a, a position uh, that I'm, you know, I have more time to read and think. And so, um, and I, I also am keenly aware, I too like to, to think in terms of what's going on in the religious component in America. Mm -hmm. And it, what COVID did clearly, unquestionably, was decimate the notion of gathering together in communal worship, whether you were Jewish or Christian or Catholic, whatever, uh, because everything got changed in a minute mm -hmm. as a result of COVID. Uh, and we watched how churches uh, failed or succeeded at being able to tack to be able to um, change direction and what they were doing. Uh, and they were either successful at it and continued to thrive or weren't so successful at it and fell by the wayside. So Sabbath once again becomes a sort of a, a lens through which to see what was happening in organized religion. And so for all those reasons, we thought, you know, this is a richer topic than we thought. Plus, plus you know, Sabbath takes us naturally into a lot of different topics. And mm -hmm. the, the idea of care of the earth, care of creation, um, and so we started to put the ideas together about, you know, you know, this is this is an environmental story too. This has got a really strong environmental component. Yes. And so once we began as a team to think, you know, that this is much deeper than saying, hey, I want to take a break on Sunday. I'm going to, st I'm going to stop on Sunday. Uh, then we began to realize that actually we had tapped into something that was uh, bigger than we had imagined. And hopefully, if we could communicate that well to a viewing audience, a television viewing audience, that we would open and expand the idea of Sabbath to, for them too. Yeah, one of, the, one of the things that I really appreciated about the documentary is how it took into account the embodiment of human beings. And especially during the, during the bit where you talked about COVID and, so, and, and, and how, you know, now what you're saying, how it changed and decimated um, how we gathered together spiritually, at least for, at least for a time period. I thought, I thought that was something that is very nuanced and something that is, is very needed in, a, in such a technological culture uh, as we we're in today. Yeah, and I also thought you might find it interesting because you work for Religion Unplugged. But <laughs> we came across a number of groups uh, uh, that, are, that are practicing what they call a tech Sabbath, mm -hmm. so that they are on their own, putting down their cell phones, putting down their laptops and desktops, and deciding we're going to walk away from this for a day. Mm -hmm. Now, um, they would, most of them would claim that they're secular. Um, they're not doing it for religious principles. They're doing this for the human principles, for this, the sense that we don't want you know technology to sort of totally dominate our lives. Sure. 
Uh, and yet at the same time, they, they call they most often call it a tech Sabbath. They don't call it a tech day off or a mm-hmm. tech reprise or some other kind of thing. They call it a tech Sabbath because I think instinctively there's a sense that Sabbath is a universal concept that means stop. It just mm-hmm. means a time to take a break from all the madness that you've been involved with. So even people who don't think of themselves as religious actually have gravitated towards this notion of a tech Sabbath. And I, and I, and I think they're, they're holding on to it. And we, we found it a really interesting sort of take on this notion that we think of as primarily originated in, in religious practice, but has taken on new dimensions now. Yes, yes. Could you say a little bit more about how in the documentary, I mean, I, I, I thought the farminary was the most fascinating part about the entire thing. And between that and, and towards the end, you know, you see in, in, I think it was the University of California, Berkeley, where uh, the students are going out and serving on Sabbath and also gathering together in their community. It doesn't seem, there seems to be some aspect of the Sabbath that involves some kind of, of worker service. Uh, and I was wondering if you could say a little bit more about that, especially for, for viewers that might not exactly catch the connection. Yeah, um, well, well they are, they're very different in the examples uh, that, you, that you mentioned. But, um, you know, one of the stories that we profiled is how Muslims look at Sabbath. And uh, even though they don't use the language Sabbath, they have Friday Juma prayer. Mm-hmm. And the Juma prayer is different on Friday than it is uh, during, the prayer is different on Friday than it is from the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. And one of the additional aspects is people are encouraged, in addition to uh, the, the formal prayer gathering, to go out and do public service. That That's just, it just seems more and more a part of what the notion of Sabbath is all about. It's no, it, you know, it's that one day a week and I think in the easiest language to think about it, it's to say that it's not—it's no longer about me and my success, mm-hmm. uh, me and my advancement, or you know, me and my own personal journey. It, it's about others. It's about realizing that God created this world, and God asked us to take a day off and, and rest ourselves from from the way that we engage the world. But it also said it's a time for us to be able to be aware of others in the world around us and those who are in need. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, public service, civic service is, is just a natural extension of, of the whole notion of Sabbath. I, I think one of the, you know, you talk about the farming area, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but, you know, you know there's that story that we did up in Massachusetts um, about, the, about the farm, that's, that the farming land, the garden that's created adjacent to the synagogue. Um, and it's, it's really um, a story that said that Sabbath is not just about one day a week, it's also about one year every seven years when right. we're called to let the land rest. In the Jewish tradition, it's called the, sh- the year Shemitah, uh, to rest the land, which which makes agricultural sense, first of all. But foundational to it is that um, as we're working, we're constantly transforming the environment around us. Mm-hmm. And, and it needs rest. It's not just that we need rest. I think that there's a there's a really important message in the notion, the bigger notion, the grander notion of Sabbath, uh, that the world needs a day off from us. Mm-hmm. We are constantly intervening, we're constantly constructing, we're constantly, constantly mac- you know, macro-managing everything that's going on around us to the best of our ability. Uh, and that the world needs a day off from us. It's not just that sure. we need a day off. And I, I think that's a really, that's a central point to Sabbath. Yeah. And, um, 
And I think and you see that on the farm stories. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's very interesting because usually when when people do think about Sabbath, I think the general the general notion is one of and especially when we talk about the notion of stopping, it's like, okay, I'm just gonna maybe sit on my couch and, and, and watch Netflix the entire afternoon, right? But it's 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 so much more than that. And it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm if I'm interpreting this wrong, it seems to me that the that rest entails just a different kind of kind of work, right? It, it is. Um, we we um, I think that's really uh, expressed really lovely in a, in a really meaningful way by in the, in the section that we did on Orthodox Judaism uh, by Manus Friedman, Rabbi Manus Friedman, who in the second uh, hours talks about uh, from the Orthodox community in, in Brooklyn, New York, says you know. You know, rest can be very selfish. It's all about me. Mm-hmm. Shabbat can be selfish. Uh, it's all about me. I work six days a week, and I need my one day off to get ready to go back and then do the job on the seventh, uh, on the first day of the next week. Right. And I think that's that's a really important message. I, I think uh, we who are incredibly self-centered in the 21st century, thinking about ourselves and our needs, and Sabbath can be interpreted as okay, you know, it legitimizes me to stop a little bit and get ready, but I'm going to be hitting it again on Monday morning. Um, and I think really that what we try to show, and the underlying message of all of this, is not it's it's all it's a lot more than just about giving myself a nap, the right to take a nap on a Sunday yeah. afternoon. <laughs> it's a whole lot bigger than that, uh, and that the world that we have created. The overuse of all the resources, the ignoring of the condition of the, of the earth, and the, and the ignoring of the condition of ourselves, our very soul. Uh, Sabbath is, 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 is there for us to take as a gift. And to accept it means that you buy into a whole notion that the world is bigger than us, and that we're actually entrusted with a responsibility to care for not only it, but also ourselves in a very different kind of way. Yeah. And, and I think if, if people can look at the film, and not think simply think of it as a you know an invitation to take a nap on a Sunday afternoon. I think we'll have done something meaningful. One of the one of the best compliments that I had received during the course of making the film. Uh, we were out for a week in Los Angeles, California, mm-hmm. um, at the Hispanic church called La Placita, right. Our Lady Queen of Angels in downtown Los Angeles, and it's a it's a hectic, busy. You know, Catholic center in the midst of the chaos of downtown Los Angeles, and this is where the the clergy, the the pastor, who's the you know the, the pastor of the church, he was working with us. He was just terrific, and, and really, you know, he does sixty baptisms over the course of the weekend. He's just a busy guy. You know, all these services and everything, they do seven services a week mm-hmm. on a weekend. And he said to me, when it was all done and over with, you know, we'd been filming with him for a week, we shake hands, or we're going back home. And he said, Martin, I just wanted to say thank you. I wanted to say thank you because I've been a pastor for 30 years. And I get up and I do my job every day, and I, you know, I do it faithfully. And yet I think at the deepest level, I hadn't really thought about Sabbath. And you coming here... As um, really, and knowing that you're going to ask me questions and sort of take the subject apart and sort of delve deeply into it, made me really start to think about Sabbath and all the different implications of it. And I'm, and I can't tell you that I can, I'm just grateful for doing you, you're doing the film for including us for also making me go deeper on this topic of Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Well, at least, we, <laughs> at least we got one person to move 
<laughs> who recognized that? And I, I was immensely grateful because I admired him so much for what it was he was doing, week in and week out. Um, and yet at the same time to admit that he hadn't really thought about it at the level that he, maybe he felt as though he should have uh, was was a great accomplishment for us. Mm -hmm. We felt as though we had done our job. Mm -hmm. That's That's incredible. That's incredible. Going back to what you were saying about what we were talking about in terms of individualism and community, how much do you think that the rampant individualism present in, in America plays into the culture being so hurried and burnt out? Well, I, I think uh, it, there's a strong, deep in the American way of thinking is this strong idealism of, of being an individual. I mean, it's, it's the way we're all supposed to think of ourselves. We are strong individuals. We don't think of ourselves at all uh, in a, any kind of community. Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, the truth of the matter is religion is created. The expression of religion is a communal expression. The expression of faith in a religious body is a, is a communal expression. And so you have these two tensions that have always been there since the beginning. You know, you want to be strong as an individual, and yet at the same time, there's a hunger for community. Mm -hmm. So I, I think there is, I, I think when we feel as though we carry the entire weight of everything on our own shoulders, or just ourselves, I think it can become even more exhausting. When you feel as though the weight that has to be carried is shared with others, and I, I think there's some great sense of relief for that. And I think that's in part what, you know, community gathering and worship is supposed to be is to say that you're not alone in this world. Mm -hmm. uh, that you know you have burdens, but I have burdens, and let's share these burdens together. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really uh, that's a really important addition to the way that we can approach the world. Um, I, I think people really look forward. There's still people who really look forward to gathering together in community that feels devastated by what COVID did. The inability to gather in community to see your friends. To share yep. with others that know you, that have a common approach to God, um, and, and to hear their stories and to share your own stories with them. I think that's what life is supposed to be all about. Yeah. We're supposed to live our lives. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to a friend about this yesterday, especially after COVID. I mean, you know, I come from, I come from Brazil and, and, and we just hug everybody, you know, we, we, um, whenever it's the time to pass the peace in church, like everybody's hugging everybody. And I go to an Anglican church and this last Sunday, I realized that that is now one of my favorite parts of the service is when the pastor says, you know, you have peace with God. Now you have peace with one another. And I just go around hugging people. <laughs> um, and, and it's, it's one of the greatest things ever being, being in community. And it was quite the shock for me coming to the U S and seeing kind of the neglecting of the village culture that we have back home, where in public and private life, it's, it's, it's never that you're, you're alone. You know, the individual is always seen in terms of the of the community. And, and, and it's interesting how a lot of these, especially the monotheistic faiths, go exactly counter to the rampant individualism that we see today. Yeah, yeah. Um, all valid points. I think that we really do. Uh, I think we overemphasize this lone individual. I think the media, you know, contributes to that. I think that the notion of, you know, one against all is kind of uh, is kind of the way that, uh, you know, movies and films and things are all structured. I, I think it really doesn't help us because I think fundamentally we're all looking for an opportunity to say, look, we're not alone. We're all in this together. 
I, I think, uh, well, one of the things that I, I, I also thought that there's a really interesting aspect that maybe you would appreciate this as something coming from another country to the United States. Uh, one of the things that I became uh, fascinated with was that rest can be interpreted in a different way, not simply stopping physically and resting on a Sunday, but for the people out in um, La Placida, at uh, that congregation out in downtown Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Many of them, most of them are immigrants coming from the Latin countries, from Mexico and uh, Latin America. Right. Uh, and South America. Many of them admittedly um, are uh, either uh, undocumented or recently documented, struggling to find jobs. They're um, part of the, uh, the working class. You know, mm -hmm. one of the, we make a point about talking about how, you know, you can see in their hands, these are the working people when they come up to receive communion. These are the working people who hold the country together. And uh, I think in some way, um, there is an aspect of rest when you come together uh, as a group of people who in some way share a common story, mm -hmm. who share a common fate. Uh, the idea that uh, people who traveled to the United States from the southern regions crossed over the desert to get to this country, they, they see themselves aligned with the story of the Israelites passing right. through the desert, leave, escaping so one form of injustice to come to a new and hopefully new life. Right. Uh, and so that be, that's, a, that's a different kind of rest that says, you know, I'm here with people who understand who I am. And when I leave this church, when I leave the courtyard after my, my lunch after church, I'll be back into it again where people will take advantage of me because of the language barrier, my, my lack of education. Um, but for that time period, Sabbath becomes a moment of, of genuine rest and feeling as though you're accepted for who you were. And I think that's a great gift for people. Yes, yes. It's. I think it's very interesting what you're saying about rest being interpreted differently and 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 it, this kind of goes back to what we were saying about not sitting on the couch all afternoon by yourself and, and and watching netflix right i mean when i was in brazil in january one of the things that my cousin's church does is every sunday night the men's ministry we go out to the small field and we just play soccer for like two three hours and then maybe we'll we'll get a drink afterwards or my cousin and I would go to the pool and, and, and something like that. And while the activity is, is physical and might be draining to some extent, I felt the rest of my soul after yeah, after exactly, those activities, exactly. you know, and, and I think that's that's really incredible. I mean, I <laughs> I've yet to find a. Uh, a church here in, in, in New York City where uh, you play soccer every Sunday, but... <laughs> <laughs> There's just no space. There's yeah. No space there. <laughs> where did you come from in, in Brazil? I've been to Brazil a number of times. So where, where did you come from? So my family is from Sao Paulo. Ah, uh, okay, all right. Yeah, the and busiest is it still the busiest or the still the most densely populated uh, place on on earth? I think it is. Uh, something like that. I mean, barring some maybe cities in Asia, it's a lot of people. I think it's like thirteen million or or something like that. But the the funny part about Sao Paulo is you'll get these little um futsal fields all over the place i mean every couple of blocks <laughs> everyone's playing soccer you know if it's on the street or whether it's on like a tiny little concrete mm -hmm. park or something like that um so again like if if we're comparing it to uh la placita it's it's again it's being around people who have similar interests similar stories who share um the same kind of 
worldview or, or social imaginary that you do. So I, I find the way that it translates across cultures, I find it's, it's fascinating. Yep. And I have to say that, uh, you know, the, the, the word that we're always fascinated with is the idea of diversity. Mm-hmm. So not everybody has a similar story and we need to be open to the other person's story and, and find a way to take that story onto ourselves. Uh, but the truth of the matter is when you look at what people naturally do, they naturally tend to congregate within groups that where they can see themselves mm-hmm. uh, who, who, people, with people who they believe understand them, understand what they've been going through, what, what, what they understand what the challenges they, they face. And that's human nature. Mm-hmm. And I think in many ways, uh, people self-segregate in terms of churches, African-Americans with African-Americans, Hispanic with Hispanics. They just tend to self-segregate for themselves. Uh, and I, I think that's a reflection of exactly what we're talking about, which is the idea that within a group of people that I can see myself and I can actually feel as though I can sort of put down all the armor that I wear every single day to get through this complicated world that we live in, I can rest. Yes. So um, that that's a that's an important contribution that congregational worship makes. Yeah. And you you were denied that for three years uh, during COVID for the better part of two or three years during yeah. COVID, and that, I think that was a real challenge for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, especially for I think if we're if we're continuing on uh, talking about um, Latin Americans, I mean we're 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 a culture that just loves being together. I mean barbecuing and and playing soccer and so yeah, this is. Yeah, you're. I think you're totally right. Um, what What inspired you? I mean, you you said you we we talked about the importance of of religion in general. So, what exactly inspired you to examine this concept across different faith traditions? Was that was that something that was embedded in the very mission of the film? Oh, absolutely. I, I think uh, one of the nice things that people have been saying is that they had. Uh, they appreciated the diversity of the way the subject of Sabbath was being respected and honored and talked about and discussed in, in, in a myriad of different traditions and cultures. So that that really was our intention from the outset. Uh, and there are certainly uh, links back to the Judeo and then Judeo-Christian mm-hmm. uh, mindset about it. But I, I think that people... We, we wanted to go into this project to say, how can we expand people's horizons about sure. the, the simple notion of Sabbath? And that, I think, in, instinctively brought us to say, well, we need to have a wider perspective on it ourselves. We need to look at a lot of different possibilities here. And I, 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 you know, I, love, I still love making these films. I've been making these films now for 40 years. I still love making them. And I just enjoy the process of being out there with people and sort of raising their interest level. Um, because a, a lot of times people would say, like I, like I said in La Placida, that you know, you're doing it, but you're not really stopping to think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so part of Sabbath is the notion of stopping and then sort of setting your mind in a different direction. And, I, and hopefully the film itself becomes a, an invitation to do exactly that. Yeah, I think I, I really like what you say, what you're saying about not having time to stop and think about it. I think that's the entire, um, that if you could sum up the great acceleration in, 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 a, in a phrase, I think, I think it would be that, especially in America's bigger, bigger cities. I know for certain I've had, I've had that experience in, in New York where oftentimes you work Monday to Friday, right? And then you reserve your Saturday for social things. And then as a, as a college student, you know, I, often had to do homework on Sundays and then, and then you, you repeat it over again. And so, um, I really appreciate that take. I think one of the things too, that, um, 
came out again and again for me in the course of making the film. And so, like, you know, so these buzzwords that have come up, but actually they're, they're thematically central to what we're talking about in terms of Sabbath. Sabbath at its core is about trust. Mm. The single most important aspect is not obedience to a particular law that says I must honor Sabbath this way. And, uh, and I, I don't want to, you know, denigrate anybody who sees that it, this is a tradition that has laws around it and, and regulations around how, how Sabbath is to be observed. But really, this is about the condition of your soul. Mm -hmm. This is about the willingness that says, you know, for this one day, I'm going to trust that my my co-worker is not going to get ahead of me here while I'm taking my Sabbath day off. I'm, I'm going to trust uh, that I can uh, go to a space and gather with other people and that they'll honor me and care for me in the way that I feel as though I deserve to be honored. And finally, it's also about saying that I, for one day a week, I'm going to trust the world back to the creator of the world. And mm -hmm. God didn't need me to create the world, and God doesn't need me to work out seven days a week. So I'm going to trust that God will be able to take care of the world for one day without me. Trust becomes a key element to how we think about Sabbath. And the problem is, and I think in America today, we've really lost the value of trust. Hmm. We hunger for it as human beings. We really need it. Uh, but I think that, you know, you, you can make sweeping statements about it, but I think they're probably close to true rather than, than not so true, which is that we don't trust our government. We don't trust many of our institutions. If you look at surveys about the, the lack of trust and confidence that we have in the institutions across this country, it's not there like it used to be two generations ago. Right. So we're we're a culture now that's really raised on saying, you know, don't trust, don't trust, don't trust. And yet Sabbath is calling us to do exactly that. And so if if you think of trust like a, an emotional muscle that needs to be exercised, um, I think Sabbath is, is that one day a week where you're exercising the muscle of trust. And I think it's absolutely better. Do you think that? America has come to this place of mistrust because of, of government corruption or maybe the absentee father crisis? Like, what do you think are some um, causes of this? Well, well I, I think um, there, there's so many. I mean, I mean, uh, we, we approach our government with a lot more caution and suspicion in this generation than we would have two or three generations earlier. Right. And I and I think that that's a that's a starting place. I think the breakdown in the families, uh, across the, that's a good point. Uh, so that that says that you know our families are, have really undergone a major shift, uh, and so the trust level of, of of security in our in our home environments, for many, is not there like it used to be in the past. And again, our institutions we don't we don't trust the media. Whenever, you know, where we're really in a, a state of confusion. I work in media. We're really in a state of confusion about what can you actually believe in. Sure. I mean, was that image that I saw of somebody was that was that a genuine image or was that falsified or was that mm -hmm. is that AI at work here? We're just we're living at a time when we're taught to be. It's only the fool that trusts blindly today. That's the <laughs> lesson that I think most of yeah. us teach ourselves. And often we're we're proven right. I mean, the, in religion. Uh, and the media is very quick to identify all the failings of our religious leaders, whether it's the pedophilia crisis or mismanagement of funds. And so you don't trust your you don't trust the institutions that you really need to trust. And so we feel like we're on our own. And I think that can be exhausting.
Yeah. And so, uh, in, in some ways, Sabbath is calling us to, you know, remind us that as human beings, we need to be able to trust. There's a lot of, is that, that's just something that I think deep down inside we really want to believe in, that we can trust ourselves and our neighbors and, and the institutions that we're sure of that right now. But I think Sabbath is, in some ways calls us to rethink that. Yeah, yeah. So do you think it's it's possible to separate Sabbath from religion i mean it, it, the the documentary touches touches on this a little bit when it's talking about the blue laws and even though those are rooted in religion i think it was the government or sorry the governor of uh, the city in new jersey he was like you know i i don't associate our blue laws with religion at all you know what i mean uh but is it is it possible to to separate the two concepts well, I, I think it's I, th I think it's being done all the time. I, I think that we are we are just de facto growing more and more secular as as a culture. Mm -hmm. uh, more and more, the religious roots of this culture are being abandoned, um, and and we'll we'll decide we'll see later on whether or not that's a good thing or not. Uh, but um, the blue laws have been part of the mandated rest throughout the course of the history of this country. Uh, and that's I, one of my favorite chapters in the film is the, the chapters about some of the American history, mm -hmm. uh, because you see that, you know, Sabbath, the theme of Sabbath has been part of the whole unfolding of the of the epic of that is America. But I, I think what's clear, clearly happening is that we're we, we've begun to erode the confidence that we've had and the usefulness in, in our minds of religious expression. Uh, and then I'll find my own way to to do what I want to express my own spirituality. The nuns movement in this this country is is significant. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people feel as though that religion has failed them, and yet at the same time, I still have a sense of of wanting to hunger for something spiritual. And that can be, you know, appreciation of nature. Of, uh, and and Sabbath is calling us to say, you know, hey, look, God God created this world, go out and you know, use some of this time that you're taking on Sabbath, go out into the natural world and sort of appreciate, re remind yourself of how much we have to appreciate in the natural world. Yes. So these ideas all continue to continue to softly overlap. Um, but there's no question in my mind that the country is our country right now, and I think fundamentally the world is growing more and more secular. And so we're going to decide as we go along what are some of the principles of religion that we want to make sure that we don't abandon totally because as we've turned away from organized religion we're no longer going to church the same way uh, the truth of the matter is I, I think many of us are taking with us um elements of religion that we still don't want to let go of yes so this, like i said before earlier this idea i'm taking a sabbath i'm taking a tech sabbath and i'm calling it a tech sabbath because i'm taking a day off but you know it's sort of in the sabbath tradition i get that so it still kind of works for me mm -hmm. and so we're, we've we're we, we, we are leaving some things behind, holding on to others, and who knows in a generation from now whether or not the world, as it, as it is, will start to move back into organized gatherings, organized communal worship again, more than it has been but now. But right now, at this moment, uh, we're becoming more and more secular, more and more disinterested in religion, and yet at the same time, a lot of people feel as though emotionally, spiritually, they need that Sabbath. They, they need what it provides for them because it creates this opportunity for communal gathering and a man and a really, a, you know, an invitation to take some time to think and reconnect with your soul. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate what you're saying about how the, these ideas all overlap. I mean, like I told you, I spent 
quite a bit of time in, in Southern Africa. And I mean, one of the things that my family used to do on family vacations is we used to drive to this game reserve, this massive, massive game reserve where it's basically the wild with a little, with some, um, fenced in camps in between that you would stay at during the evening, but like no cell service. And then you drive around in your car and you just look at the animals doing their thing. And you would see elephants and buffaloes and lions and all in their natural habitat. And there would be these mountains that you could drive up and just look at the picturesque valley below you. And I really appreciate what you're saying about nature and all these ideas overlapping because in my experience, when I was somewhere like that, I also felt rest from my soul, you know? And, and, and I also, it's almost like I felt God whispering in my ear. Um, and so I think that's why, that's what I loved about the farminary part of the documentary so much is, is, is all about accepting limits and understanding that you're a part of something that's much bigger than you are that involves community. Sure. But that also involves the world that, that you live in. Well, I mean, you'll, you'll find this of interesting, uh, Hafa, because I just came back, I've been away for the last, uh, 10 days or so. And, uh, because I, I, uh, so with the filmmaking and everything, I kind of direct where we have to go to make shoot the films. Uh, but I always let my wife decide where we're going to go for vacation. She mm -hmm. gets to pick. And uh, this year she wanted to, in the middle of the summer, she wanted to go to Svalbard, Norway. Uh-huh. Oh, I've heard of this town. It's the town that in the winter there's no sunlight, right? Oh, all, all of Norway, yes. Uh, so this is an uh, this is a collection of islands. It's like similar. It's like similar to the Caribbean. Uh, but it's a, it's a collection of islands that are th about 300 uh, kilometers north of the northernmost part of Norway. Mm -hmm. uh, you're at 78 degrees up, wow. up there. Uh, and uh, it was the middle of June, so it was just recently, and it was cold. Uh, but we saw walruses, uh, fully tusked walruses. We saw a polar bear from a distance, uh, all white reindeer. It, and, and we saw mountains that will never lose their snow uh it, uh glaciers we spend time uh, by the glaciers and things like that so we we you know you, you can't help but come back and think oh, you know, this is really quite quite a planet <laughs> quite yeah a planet if you get a chance to do it and uh, i'm sure you know coming from brazil has the rainforest and the amazon and everything i mean you've got incredible nature in south africa i want to go uh, I, I want to, somewhere along the line, I'm going to get to pick a vacation. And I'd like to go <laughs> back to Africa. I was there uh, many times, but I want to go on a photo safari. And yeah. I want to see what they call the big game. And yeah. I'd love to, I guess maybe that's a place to do it, maybe in South Africa. Although I have been to Tanzania. And uh, yeah. you can find game preserves in Tanzania that you can get that too. Would that be the best place to go with Tanzania or South? Would you recommend South Africa? I, I would recommend South Africa wholeheartedly, 1000%. Uh, I'm a little bit biased, but I mean, besides the Kruger National Park, there's this one highway we have called the Garden Route. And it takes you through mountains and it takes you through the plateau and down the plateau into Cape Town. So you see the ocean and you see... Um, some of the small uh, wetlands that we have are along the coast, and it's just gorgeous, just gorgeous. I mean, Southern Africa, in my opinion, is the most beautiful place on Earth. And it's in terms of terrestrial landscape, I think it's it's one of the most diverse countries in that in that respect mm -hmm. as well. There's this place called God's Window where you're standing in between two hillsides and you just see vast green and yellow in front of you like... Mm -hmm. 
it's it's just amazing it's just amazing i mean and the people are incredible i mean i would recommend south africa to anybody it's 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 a hike to get there i mean it's a 16 hour flight but it's it's worth it it's worth it and and uh, the seasons are reversed just like in uh, the southern part of uh, south south america so the seasons are reversed right so uh, for for viewing animals and for for all that would you recommend going like you know, November, December, January, February, then time? Uh, no, no. I would recommend actually going during the winter, so June, July, um, because that's when the uh, the tall grass, it's at its lowest, and that's when you can see many big cats because if the grass is, is very tall and very green, they just hide in the grass. And so I, and, and especially when the, when the trees are very leafy, uh, it gets harder to see like the leopards and a lot of birds up there. So I would actually recommend going in June or July. I think Excellent. I think that's when you'll get the best experience. And in a lot of parts of the country, it's it's warm year round. Even though in places like Johannesburg and Cape Town, uh, it gets relatively cold. But that's another great thing about South Africa is we have all four seasons. Um, and so, yeah, that would be that would be my that would be my take. Well, I, I appreciate that. I'll, I will submit this early to my wife and see, <laughs> see how it goes. So, yeah, um, yeah. I'd love to do that. So. Um, I just have one or two more questions for you. Um, how do you think that, if we're coming back, as much as I would love to keep talking about South Africa, uh, going back yeah. to America, <laughs> um, how do you think that our culture here or things related to that would change if we took the Sabbath seriously, if we if we rested more and and and, and things like that. Well, I, I think that the Sabbath was created to give us an opportunity to do some take some time for not only self reflection but for reflection on on the world that we live in. And so I think that we would be better off for it. I, I just think that, and we know it. I think that's the fundamental difference right now. I think that. Uh, COVID especially shut us all down, stopped everything. I think that, I think that part of the reason why people are telling me, oh, you know, this is a very timely film, uh, is because there's something inside of us that says, you know, maybe this is for our good. Maybe this is something that was given to us. You know, at the end of the film, was you know, was Sabbath given to us uh, for God or is it for us? Sure. And, and I think that's the final message of the film. I think that fundamentally it's uh, God doesn't need our worship. I think it was given to us for us to be able to take a time uh, to see who we are in the world and take 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 a, an assessment of what, you know, what it means to sort of be a creature, a, a creation, part of creation of this world. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that's what bad outcome can come from that. I think that's exactly what we're called to do. So, yeah. and, I, and I also think that it doesn't necessarily have to be a religious concept. Um, I know so many people have such a negative approach these days toward anything that has to do with religion. Mm-hmm. But what it's fundamentally saying is that you you cannot burn the candle on both ends forever. Um, it's not good for your health, not good for your family life, not good for the community that you're living in, um, and it's not good for the world and the environment that that we live in. So, you know, find a way to to create a rhythm for yourself. And part of that rhythm, I think, is that once every seven day, once every seven year, rest cycle. Um, and I think it's going to make us a little less stressed, a little less angry, uh, and a little bit more trusting of the person next to us, and we're all able to do that some level together. Yeah, yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. 
So I'm assuming the based on what you're telling me that the film was well received, that people enjoyed it. Um, was it was it the kind of feedback you would have hoped for? Yeah, it is. We we know we work as filmmakers. We work more in isolation than anybody wants to to accept. I mean, we literally are in you know in closed rooms for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks trying to make the film. You don't know if the uh, you know if this is working or not, whether or not this is actually going to touch people and connect to people. So we we honestly don't know what's going to happen here until we actually start releasing the film. But the, re the release uh, of the film, the first of Feb of, uh, I'm sorry, of June, uh, public television is getting, you know, I've been doing a lot of uh, interviews and calls about it. So the calls are coming in. And so I can only hope that actually that's as a result of something resonating with people. And I hope there's a sense of timeliness about it because I, I think we're all feeling it. I think we're all feeling some Absolutely. kind of need to maybe invite a different perspective in our lives to have there's here's an invitation to say you know stop but also you know think about the world in a different way uh, yes and, and and appreciate it one, one of the things that i really appreciate um from my end about making the film was the musical a tapestry in the film i mm -hmm. mean we have we have you know African American gospel choir. We have Gregorian chant music. We have you know mariachi bands out in uh, Los Angeles. I mean I, we we really worked hard to try and figure out a way to sort of amplify the notion that Sabbath can reflect a, a certain musical style and affinity that people have for the expression of their uh, love of God and love of getting together as community through music. And, and to me, I think as far as a musical tapestry in a film is concerned, I think this is my favorite film, just for that one reason alone. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, just out of curiosity, have you ever heard of a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry? I have not. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Yeah, okay. it's it's by a guy named John Mark Comer, and, and his whole shtick is, is very similar to various themes that uh your documentary touches on and it's 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 all about how we're overhurried and we're burnt out and he primarily brings it in from a christian perspective but he has a whole chapter on 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 the sabbath as a as a method of uh slowing down and 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 as something that uh god commands us to do and and and, and was made for us and everything and that's what really got me very passionate when i read it two years ago about this concept of rest and this concept of Sabbath in a burnt out culture. So I was just very curious if you had heard about it at all. No, but it's going to be on my list now. Thank you for that. And yeah. it sounds as though this topic is just not something that just came across the table for you. It's actually something you've been thinking about for the last little while. I, I have. Yeah. It, it, it really, yeah, I really have thought about it very deeply ever since reading that book. And, and the thing that's nice about that book, I mean, I, I'm a politics, philosophy, and economics major, so I do a lot of reading for school, and that book just reads like a giant text message, but it's so profound and so very easy to read as well. So it was, it was, it was the perfect thing for me to, for me to, uh, for me to read at the time too. So I like the word ruthless. So I had the ruthless elimination. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, I was very curious, but yeah, those are, those are really all the questions I, I have for you. Um, do you have anything else you would like to say or, or was there something that I should have asked that I didn't? 
Well, you did a great and thorough job, so I'm grateful. And I'm glad we were able to work this out as a phone and that we didn't totally lose it. So that's a, that's a, that's a helpful thing. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really grateful. Uh, you will figure out a way and somehow and, and either what you write or how you put it together to be able to mention, you know, we're trying something totally unique here in that um, we're making the film available to people free of charge. Mm-hmm. And so you can come to our website, journeyfilms.com. You register in, and you get the film for free. Uh, and so uh, that was made possible as a result of the support of the foundation that works with us, which is uh, the Lilly Endowment. Mm -hmm. uh, so in addition to being able to go to you know, your local public television station, so you can go, uh, you know, in principle, you should be able to go to WNET in New York, type in the word Sabbath and there's the film. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, what we have on our website on journeyfilms.com uh, is you can not only get the film uh, in a, a single two-hour block without, you know, breaking it up into two one-hour episodes. You get it as a single two-hour block, but also, too, on the website is all the uh, uh, educational material, the additional resources for reading, suggestions for reading. We've got recipes if you want to have Sabbath dinners. Mm -hmm. All the kinds of stuff that are going up regularly now over these next weeks. We've built it up already. We continue to build it up over the next many weeks. So it's it's all there to sort of encourage people to think about this in a very different way. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I I really love the work that you guys are doing. I think it's going to have a massive impact. Uh, just on on me. I mean, even just in the last week, as I watched the documentary and I've been trying to to to, to wrestle with these. With these concepts, I wholeheartedly agree that it's that it's very timely. So, um, now before I lose you, um, you said that one of the episodes uh, that really had you know really touched you deeply was the farming area, and I'd like to hear why. Yeah, so I I really appreciated the the how it tied theological learning, or honestly, just any kind of learning in general, with practicality, in the sense that you're in nature though, if that makes sense. Like, I mean, like I said, at, at, at Kings where I went to school, everything we learn is very practical, but there's not a lot of sense that of, of learning about limitations, uh, but limitations for, for your soul, you know? And I think being out in nature and taking learning outside of the classroom is something that touched me very deeply. Um, and I think, yeah, what, what one of the girls said about, quite literally accepting your limits and accepting the limits of the world around you. I thought, man, like that, that is incredible. And how you're actively engaging with, with the soil and the ground and, and living things as opposed to sitting in a classroom and perhaps sitting at a cubicle where you don't interact with anything green or oftentimes interact or connect with your fellow coworkers on a, on a deep and real basis. Um, I thought it was incredible. Nice, nice. So I'll convey to Nate, uh, Nathan Stuckey, who founded, or he's the director up there at uh, the Farminary, the, that expression of what, the, how it resonated for you. So I'm happy to do that. Excellent. Yeah, well. Right, Robert, thank you so much. You thank you. Me if you have any more follow-up questions, or if there's anything else you want to unpack <laughs> as we go along here. So. All right, I will do. And if you, if you have any further questions, also feel free to text me. All right, blessings. Thank you. All right, blessings. Thank you, Martin.